This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Oswe, and joining me today is our friendly neighborhood cynic from D.C., Eric. Yes, sir. So, Eric, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to clap your hands. Now stomp your feet. Well, I can't do that. On a carpet. (laughs) Well, here come the Sixers. You know, it's part of the lyrics of that song. One, two, three, four, oh. five, Sixers. Oh, so so that, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be cheering on the Sixers. Well, you know that song, one, two, three, four, five, Sixers, ten, nine, eight, seventy Sixers. Well, you mean literally the song that th- you taught me a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yes. Well, the first lines of that song are: "Clap your hands, everybody, for Philadelphia seventy Sixers. Stomp your feet, everybody, for Philadelphia seventy Sixers." Do you all sing the song and then? like collectively spit on the person who led you all in in the chant because that would seem like a very (laughs) philadelphia thing to do no 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 no. usually what happens is at the end of a game that we win the song plays and maybe we might spit on you know an opponent fan but uh, not on each other (laughs) because you all are sophisticates the classy stuff very very yeah, after all, I mean, Philly fans uh, punch horses when they win Super Bowl, so. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you didn't know that? After the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they just, like, trashed the city, and they even punched a police horse. For God like, knows they're why. they're assaulting horses? Like, what the hell did the, did the horse do to you all? What's wrong with you all? <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but... Yeah, guys, if you couldn't guess by now, today's episode is about my Philadelphia 76ers. I figured we haven't spoken about them all season long. It's only been like a month or two in the season, but still, hey, we haven't spoken about my Sixers yet. So I figured let's chat about them. And I guess before we go anywhere, let's talk about the kangaroo in the room, Ben Simmons. Thank you very much. You know, maybe you should invest in like a drum set or something so you could do a better rim roll there. <laughs> You're going to remind me that my rim roll sucks until I actually get the sounds correct? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little underwhelming if I have to say so myself. Anyway, Ben Simmons. So as you all know, thus far this season, Ben Simmons has not played a single game. I think he showed up to just one practice, and in that practice, he had his cell phone in his pocket the whole time, and he just looked clocked out. Now, for some reason, he feels like after his complete collapse in the playoffs last season, he feels that if he doesn't play, somehow it helps his trade value. And I feel like he has his feelings hurt somehow because Doc Rivers, or oh my god, I'm sorry, Glenn Rivers said that he doesn't know if Ben could be a starting point guard on a championship team. So I guess my question to you, Eric, is what's your take on all this as an outsider? And then I'll I'll tell you my personal opinion on this. As an outsider, I mean, his trade value is in, to me, it seems to be in, in the dirt because the last on-court thing he did was 
like hiding from taking <laughs> easy bunnies at the rim. So you mean I, passing, I don't see how, passing yeah, the ball? Yeah, passing the ball away from an easy layup or dunk. But I don't see how or what logic he could possibly be going on that he thinks that having that be his last moment that we like seemingly remember about him, how that could possibly be increasing his trade value. I, I don't exactly know what the strategy is. I don't know what the strategy is of Ben Simmons being like a jackass and like doing everything possible to antagonize his teammates and the organization who seemingly are trying to help him out because he claims that he had a, a bit of a mental health break. So I, I honestly don't know what's going on with them, but yeah, this is a situation that I do not envy the front office of the Sixers. Yeah, for sure. Now, look, the way I see it, what we saw from Ben Simmons in that Hawk series in particular is that we saw a man just break down. I mean, this is a guy who has every physical advantage available to just pipe it if he's right next to the hoop. But the fact that he was so afraid of getting fouled or, or missing the layup or whatever it is, and he passed the ball to Matisse Thibault showed that right in front of our eyes, the man just broke down. Now, I don't know about you, Eric, but I know that if I was going through something, I would want to you know keep it under wraps as much as possible. But, I mean, this, this was in front of the world. So, in that sense, I understand why Ben may feel some type of way. But the problem is three things. Number one, he has some type of animosity toward the Sixers for whatever reason. And, and if you look, and he, actually Joel Embiid even said this recently, if you look over the past couple of years, the Sixers have been more than accommodating to Ben. And it's not just the Sixers front office. It's the coaches. It's the locker room. And yes, it's even us fans. Despite the world saying that Ben Simmons need to shoot, coaches, players, everyone was saying, you know what? Okay, so what? He doesn't shoot. Well, he can do everything else well. And so they kind of gave him a pass. And if you think about it, the front office never really pushed him. Never really said, you need to shoot more. They instead allowed him to be trained by his brother, who I don't know if you know who this guy is, because I definitely don't. And it's just like, is that really your shooting coach? Just your brother? Like, what the hell does he know? Let's talk about the fans. For years, myself included, fans have defended Ben, saying, you're talking about all the things he can't do. What about the things he can do? And... Even in this Hawks series, I was there when Ben Simmons is at the line and the entire crowd is saying, oh, you can do it, Ben. You got this. We believe in you. I mean, the fans in Philly are tough. Everyone knows that. But we ride with our guys. We, we want them to succeed. And we start booing when you just, you don't do your part. You don't put in the work. You don't show that you give a shit. And that's very much what happened with Ben. Like, that's why the city turned on him because he didn't put it all out there. So that's number one. The second thing that I don't like about the Ben Simmons situation is that he's using mental health as a cudgel to get away with not playing. Now, 
as we saw in the Olympics and also in tennis with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, respectively, mental health is a big thing. And it's something we all face, but especially with athletes, when your success and failures are front and center in front of the world, I I can't even imagine how much strain that is on someone's mental health. And so, like I said, it's very clear that Ben Simmons was a broken player, right? But he's only claiming mental health now so he can avoid getting fined. The Sixers have been more than willing to help him with his mental health struggles. They've given him specialists. They've done so many things. And he's, for the most part, rejected it. Now, he has recently been more open to getting help from the Sixers, but it's really to avoid getting fined. And it's beyond just the me being a Sixers fan, when I see what Ben's doing here, it makes me really concerned because the entire league is watching. And this is going to really negatively hurt the players when it comes to the next collective bargaining agreement. Because you have a guy who just signed a max contract, and now he's just refusing to play until he gets traded where he wants. And that's one guy after a string of guys who've done similar to what he's doing right now. Only here, he's taking it to another level. So I absolutely agree with particularly two of your points. I do think he's using mental health as some type of cudgel for him not to meet the Sixers halfway. Particularly, it seems that they have something in place where he's supposed to meet with their mental health evaluators and mental health specialists. And it doesn't seem as if Ben wants to meet with them for whatever reason. He he was fine a couple of weeks back for it which is just bizarre. I also think what he's doing is going to have some ramification in the upcoming CBA talks. So that's something to look out for. But on one thing and one thing alone, I do want to point out, Oswee, though he definitely definitely choked against the Hawks and he, he was terrible and he just played as if he was, like, frankly, scared to score. There was something that happened after the the ultimate loss to the Hawks in that second round series that I hadn't seen previously. I can't even think of any examples in professional basketball that would be a precedent for it. The, the teammates of Ben Simmons, and I'm talking about Joel Embiid, and his coach came out point blank yeah. in the press conference after the loss and blamed Ben Simmons for the loss. I like I've been watching basketball at this point for over 25 years. Old I man. can't think of an ex- old man, yes. I can't think of an example that even remotely parallels that. So that was definitely something. So I could at the very least see how how Ben might have an issue with his team's best player and his coach. You're right. I mean, look at how Glenn coached in that series, right? Because he did his classic Glenn Rivers. Let's have an all bench lineup. Let's not stagger our stars so that we just have entire dead zones. And you could make an argument that the Hawks coach outcoached Glenn in that series, though it's very hard to coach a team with a guy like Ben Simmons on it. As far as Embiid's concerned, While he did play generally well, he still has a tendency to give the ball up very easily. And also, in the playoffs, he tries to go for the foul 
instead of just trying to score. I mean, that's true, Oswee, but we, we have to point out, and B also, he was a lion in that series because he played with a meniscus tear, which sure, is no sure. small feat. No, that you're right. He did that, and, and that's awesome. I'm just saying, just as a, as a general note, that that is something that Embiid does. And while he's definitely not to blame for why we lost, he he still did much of the same stuff that he always does, right? He he goes for the foul more than the shot. So let me go to my third point about Ben, and that is that if Ben is really trying to get traded, acting this way not only hurts your trade value because of how it reflects on you and your character. Nobody wants to be around someone who's, I guess, so caught up in their feels like this. And then the other thing is, because he's not playing, well, now no one can see how great he is. Let, let me tell you just a, a, a stark difference in the Sixers this year versus last couple of years with Ben. As of right now, the Sixers defensively are 28th in defensive efficiency, and they're a bottom five team in terms of generating turnovers. They're dead last in transition defense per 100 possessions. Last year in transition defense, we were 13th. The year before, 5th. The year before that, 3rd. That's Ben Simmons' impact right there. The other thing about Ben is that he's such an incredible defensive talent. I mean, he's a guy who's in the high 90th percentile in matchup difficulty, defensive position versatility, in loose ball recovery rate, pickpocket rating, passing lane defense, steals per 75 possessions, deflections per 75 possessions. I mean, we were second in defensive rating last year, and now we're 28. So that is absolutely the Ben Simmons effect. He is the runner-up to defensive player of the year last year, and in my opinion, the best perimeter defender, period. And also, on offense, this season... We are one of the worst transition offenses. I think our pace is like 28th or 29th in pace. These are all marks that Ben Simmons is absolutely missed in certain aspects of his game. So the best way if he wants to get traded and to increase his trade value is to show the world that, yes, he can't shoot, but he's still an incredible talent. But you know what? The Sixers are actually... They're ninth overall in offensive efficiency without which ben is Simmons hilarious. Playing. Yeah, without Ben Simmons playing at all, and with yeah. Joel Embiid missing quite a bit of games, mm, so mm-hmm. that also speaks to for sure <laughs> ben, ben Simmons' deficiencies on the court. But you are absolutely correct; like he's an all-world defender, like a great, great defender. And for my bet. Oswe as well, I think he's the best perimeter defender in the league. That being said, it seems on the offensive end, if they have a healthy team sans Ben Simmons with Tyrese Maxey ascending right now, you could actually have a better offensive team than you usually would have with him. Right. So if we're healthy, the question is, do we need Ben? And then the follow-up question is, what do we need then if we don't need Ben? Now, I've seen a lot of potential trades, but personally, I believe we need a wing because, you know, last episode and maybe Eric, maybe I shouldn't talk shit on a podcast with you because you're like some type of jinx because we just last night lost to the Boston Celtics by one point. So I blame you for that. How the hell do you blame me for that? (laughs) 
I mean, I need a scapegoat somebody, right? So <laughs> you were the one who went on this this rant about how the Celtics are actually the losers in the process. That had nothing to do with me. Which I still stand by for the record. Okay, for the record, I stand by that to this day forever. Now, last night, Jason Tatum. Oh, sorry, Jason Tatum. Scored 26 points on 45% from the field, 37.5 from beyond the arc. He didn't miss at the charity stripe at all. And the dude had 16 rebounds, right? So the number one thing that the Sixers need right now are perimeter defenders. Guys to play the three or a long two. So Eric, what have you seen in terms of potential trade options that we have? Honestly, if if they're looking for defenders, I don't really see many options but if they're trying to get a wing that can score I mean you can look for a guy like CJ McCollum I've heard like whispers of a potential De'Aaron Fox deal but but he doesn't no, really thank fit you. the archetype no of, thank you <laughs> we know how you feel about it uh, <laughs> he doesn't really fit the archetype of a big wing that can defend or particularly like space the floor so I think CJ McCollum is a good option if you could possibly get someone like Dylan Brooks from the Grizzlies I don't think that would be a bad option he's not a great floor spacer but he's he's decent as a three-point shooter and he plays deep like dogged defense I mean you you probably going to say that you want someone like Bradley Bill or Damian Lillard or maybe James Harden, someone of that caliber of player, but a lot would have to go wrong for those respective franchises they play for, for them to be willing to dangle those guys for Ben Simmons. Like outside of outside of those guys saying outright, hey, I want to leave to play elsewhere. I just don't see Ben Simmons being the person that secures them. So I guess to your point, maybe let's lower our expectations, get a little bit more realistic with it. What about somebody like, I don't know, I've seen former Sixer Jeremy Grant be thrown out there. I've seen even Harrison Barnes being thrown out there. What do you think? So I have seen Jeremy Grant, but Harrison Barnes, Oswee, was this you throwing it out there and wishful thinking, or you actually saw them mentioning Harrison Barnes? Oh, no, it's entirely wishful thinking. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to make it seem more legit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, I do think Harrison Barnes would actually be pretty good if you could secure him in a trade swap for Ben Simmons. But I just, I I don't know if (laughs) he's going to be like one of the offerings. But who knows? Maybe maybe they can. I could definitely see Harrison Barnes being an offer before Bradley Bill or Damian Lillard. Eric, I always say when it comes to trades, when it comes to free agency, there's always a dumb team, right? There's always a dumb team. And usually when I say there's always a dumb team, the team that comes to mind is the Sacramento Kings. And it's because their owner just happens to always make the most bizarre moves. That's, you know, that's an actual, like, fair rule to go by as some type of, like, NBA wisdom. So I'm not even, I'm not even, 
like looking at you crazy for it because if any team will do something stupid, it will be the Kings. Yep. So it's possible the Kings will give up either Tyrese Halliburton or or Harrison Barnes instead of De'Aaron Fox. Or both, who knows? Or, or, or both somehow. But like I'm going to I'm going to go on the side of they can't possibly be that dumb. Don't put Definitely it past them. A, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So then let's talk about who we do have. Because Ben hasn't been playing, it's almost been a blessing in disguise because it gave more minutes to one young Tyrese Maxey. This is a guy that, I mean, Eric can attest to this, I have been raving about for weeks. And for good reason. Every couple of days, you send us something in our group chat about Tyrese Maxey, and it's been, like, for the last couple of weeks, so it's just like, we get it, dude. He's very, very good, and he's young. Congratulations. You know, I saw somewhere on on a Sixers forum, uh, they said, oh, yeah, Tyrese Maxey's a more efficient Allen Iverson. And... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to put that on him. I don't want to say that's what he is. I just want to say, man, I love seeing what he's doing so far. And as blasphemous as it might sound, I'm actually oh, hesitant. Is is blasphemy too? <laughs> that is blasphemy. But wait for this potential blasphemy. As blasphemous as it may sound, I'm kind of hesitant to really get behind trading for a star guard because I really want to see Tyrese Maxey develop. I I feel like if somebody else comes like a Harden or a Lillard, it would hinder his growth. And yes, I mean, James Harden, David Lillard, that that will change my opinion a little bit, but you know, if it's a Bradley Beal, if it's a CJ McCollum, then I think it's, it's clear. You got to go with Maxey. I don't think Maxey should be traded at all. When Embiid and Matisse and Tobias were out with COVID, Maxi had a seven-game stretch where he shot 25.4 points per game with three rebounds a game, four assists a game, 53.2 from the field, 41.9 from beyond the arc. He had a free throw percentage of 93.9%, a true shooting percentage of 63.3%, And honestly, he's incredible when it comes to not turning the ball over. I mean, on the season, the guy averages only 1.2 turnovers per game. But in that stretch, he probably had about 22 assists, maybe more, on like two total turnovers. So this kid really knows how to keep the ball out of the hands of the opponents. Look, if he's this new, improved version of Allen Iverson where he's AI with efficiency. You 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 keep him and, and see how he develops and you, you don't go out for those other guys. But <laughs> I don't know with that small sample size of course Cyrus of course Maxi is is somehow AI but more efficient. Alright Sixers All right. fans hold up hold up, be, hold up. be reaching for the sky. <laughs> hold up. To clarify, I just wanted to give an example of the buzz that Tyrese Maxey has generated among Sixers fans. Do I personally Oh, you wanted to give an example of the the delusional hyperbole? (laughs) 
the thing is, with the whole Simmons fiasco over the past couple seasons, but especially after that Hawks series, you know, we need something to, to look forward to, right? Embiid has been amazing, but he's been injured. He's had COVID. Embiid's not exactly the same. And, and so we've been running bench units. And out of nowhere, this kid comes in his second year. He's only 21 years old. And it's just balling out. He leads the Sixers in fourth quarter scoring with 5.3 points per game, which is 22nd in the league. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but hey, so far it's more than James Harden. So say what you want about that. Mm, That's something to be said. The biggest reason I think that Sixers fans love him more than anything is his work ethic. Because Philly is a very blue-collar city. We respect people who work their ass off. And that's absolutely Tyrese Maxey. I mean, the kid, literally, in the summer, he has three workouts before 11 o'clock. He starts at 5, and his last workout, he stops only after he's made 2,000 shots. So, this is a kid who works. He said when he got drafted, he was very emotional. He was crying, and his voice was breaking up, but he was saying, I will show you that you made the right choice. I will work every day to be 1% better. And this season... That's coming to realization. I mean, the kid has such an infectious personality, this youthful energy, this hard work, you know, put your nose down and and grind, you know, like that's what the city loves about him so much. And the kid has everything from step backs to spot up threes to a dangerous floater to all sorts of acrobatic finishes. I mean, this kid is just he's something else. And then defensively, he's he's a young player, so he does a lot of ball watching and Sometimes he might lose his man, but if he does, he's busting ass to get to his man and contesting shots. So, I mean, really simple for me with Maxi, Oswe. If you think he can be a complimentary playmaker slash floor spacer for someone like Joel Embiid, then he's someone you should invest in, honestly, because yeah. he's young, he's on a cheap deal right now, his rookie contract. Like, why not? And if you think he actually can produce while Embiid's on the court, I've seen the last two games, his numbers have gone down a little bit because yeah. Embiid is back. But mm-hmm. but again, small sample size. I would like to see how they coalesce to, uh, together for, you know, like uh, a month or so. And if he's doing well with them, you all have something there. Yeah, you bring up a good point, right? Because... Without Embiid on the court, Maxi was averaging about 21.6 points per game. But since Embiid's been back, he's been averaging roughly around 13.3 points per game. And a lot of that comes to just chemistry. You look at how Seth Curry and Joel Embiid have been playing together this season, when they've been playing together. Their pick and roll is deadly. It's because Seth Curry is a vet. He knows where to be. He knows where his spots are, and he knows how to figure out where his boys like their ball. And Tyrese Maxey is just 21. This is his second season. So, you know, he's played a total of, what, 12 games with Embiid? It'll take time for that to develop. In the Boston game, toward the end, we were playing through Seth or Matisse when we really should be playing through Tyrese Maxey. Unless these guys get more playing time together, that chemistry is not going to develop. But as I was telling you and AC in our group chat, once Embiid and Maxi figure out a pick and roll 
together, forget it. How are you going to switch on that? You can't. You can't switch on on Embiid, and then Tyrese is just going to blow by anybody. Yeah, facts. I'm just worried right now, and we know he missed a lot of games, and he's still recovering from missing quite a few games. But I mean, dude, he said that he thought he was going to die. Embiid, I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. I saw that. So I, yeah. I'm assuming this is just the after effects of COVID, but he's shooting 40% from the floor, which is horrendous for big. It's so, so bad. He looks very, very inefficient. I've seen him the last couple of games. He had one big night where he scored like 42 against the Wolves. But the other nights, he was there, but he wasn't really there. Yeah. So hopefully that clears up for Joel, for his health, first and foremost. But also just, he, he looks like a shell of himself. There's another aspect to this that, at least from what I noticed in last night's game, which is with the new rule changes, one guy who benefited from easy foul calls before the way that Harden and and Trey Young were was Embiid. And this has long been my biggest criticism of Joel Embiid. Like I even said before in this episode, he goes for the foul, not for the shot. He's the biggest guy on the court. You know, there's no reason he should not be just trying to pipe it on people. And by doing that, he'll probably draw fouls. But instead, he's just trying to do all these cheap, like, rip-through type moves. And and what tone does that set for the rest of the team? He's the leader on the court for the Sixers. And he's just trying all these little cheap foul-drawing moves that used to work for him instead of actually just trying to score. I don't know about your days playing basketball, Eric, but... You mean when no I, days playing basketball. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, whenever AC and I would play basketball, if somebody who's the leader of our team, whether it was AC or one of our other friends, when they're giving their all on the court, they're not just trying to do little cheap tricks, when they're really just putting it out there, it really galvanizes everyone else on the court. And that's the case with anything. It's infectious. So Embiid needs to relearn how to play his game because too often he's just trying to draw fouls. Now, to your point, Eric, part of that is because he's still recovering from COVID probably. Who knows what the long-term ramifications are of COVID? And, you know, he's just winded from all of that. So that could also be why he's trying to draw more fouls. But just in general, the league is different than the last decade, I would say, of basketball. Now, if you want to get to the line, you better earn it. None of this cheap shit anymore. Yeah, so you have a guy who's recovering from COVID, who's as inefficient as we've ever seen him. And then you have a guy in Tyrese Maxey who's still trying to figure out how to play with Joel. But you have another guy who's supposed to be your second best player without Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, who's kind of like, I'm not going to say like completely empty stats, but he's a bit of an empty stats all-star. That's fair. Like he he puts up numbers, but I I don't think those numbers are particularly like impactful. Is this just a a, a bad takeaway, Oswe, or is this something you've noticed as well? I think anybody who watches the Sixers would say the same. I mean, there's a reason why when we're the clear number one team in the East last year and should by typical rules of being the number one team with the best record usually you'd have three all-stars and if you think about the numbers Tobias Harris put last year he should have been an all-star right but why wasn't he 
It's because exactly what you said. It's a lot of empty stats. In the playoffs, you know, we're talking about blaming Ben for a poor performance in the Hawks series. What about Tobias Harris? In the fourth quarters of the last four games of that series, he had maybe a handful of points. He just kind of disappears. And it's remarkable to me because he has such a beautiful game when he actually does play his game. It's like an incredibly poor man's Carmelo. He has that 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 nice, beautiful mid-range game. But we're not talking about Tobias Harris as some great scorer. Now, will that change now that Ben Simmons is no longer adding to the spacing issue there? So now there's more of a mid-range space for Tobias to play in? Maybe. But... Let's break this down. On the season, he's shooting 47% from the field and 29.8% from beyond the arc. So that's not that great. So Tobias, what you're saying basically is in Russell Westbrook territory as a three-point shooter right now. That's horrible. For someone who has such a great shot. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, It's terrible. Now, let's think about last night against the Celtics, right? He had eight points on 36.4 from the field and 0 of 4 from beyond the arc. And he had no trips to the free throw line at all. Now, I understand that it's harder to draw fouls now, but it also means you're not attacking the rim at all. Who's defending the rim on the Celtics? Ennis Freedom? (laughs) I'm going to refrain from saying anything about Ennis um, Freedom, cancer, whatever his name is. My point, though, is that, all right, if your three-point shot's not falling, if your mid-range is clearly not falling, you should attack the hoop more and at least get to the line a handful of times. It's a problem, in my opinion, if you're supposed to be our second-best player now that Ben's gone and you haven't been to the line once. Empty stats all-star, see? (laughs) Exactly. In defense of Tobias, the man's only played 14 games this season, And that's because he had COVID. So it's possible that once he gets back into the swing of things, once he is back to game shape, once the team gets that chemistry back, it's possible his numbers will go up again. I have faith in Tobias. I just love Tobias Harris. I I just, I genuinely think he's a good guy. So I, I hope the best. I hope he picks it up. Realistically, Eric, the actual... I guess third best player of the team since Tyrese is now second best has been Seth Curry this season. He's been shooting 51.3% from the field and 42.5 from beyond the arc. He's an effective field goal percentage of 61.1 and a true shooting percentage of 64.7 with a PER of 15.5. He's also averaging 16.3 points per game. There have been a number of games that we've won because of Seth Curry. So honestly, He's been amazing. I just quickly also want to touch on a couple of the others on the team. I mean, your boy, Andre Drummond, has been... I mean, he's been pretty solid, all things considered, with Embiid out. He's had multiple 20-plus rebound nights. He's on the season averaging 10.7 per game, while his shooting numbers aren't that great. But look, he's Andre Drummond. What do you expect from him? My question, though, is... Who is actually the final member of the starting lineup? Because if it's Danny Green, Danny Green's been all right. He's also suffered with injury and sickness. But on the season, he's shooting 46.5 from the field and 41.9 from beyond the arc. I don't know what the solution is, but maybe a Ben Simmons trade will solve it. So, Oswee, 
after losing to the Timberwolves and Celtics, two teams that aren't particularly good this year, mm-hmm. in dramatic fashion, Yep. and at this moment being 11th in the East, an admittedly strong East, but still 11th, what is the silver lining on this season, or what do you have to actually root for? Your second best player clearly isn't going to play for you. He's going to sit out until you all find some type of suitable trade partner for him. What do you, at this point, have to look forward to with the rest of the season? See, Eric, and to our fans, I talked a lot of shit about the Celtics. And at the end yes, of my shit... you talked a lot of shit that came back to, like, immediately bite you in the ass. Fine. I'm fine with that. I stand by what I said. But at the same time, let's put things into perspective, all right? The Sixers opening night starting lineup played only seven games together. And no other Sixers lineup has played more than 100 possessions together. In those seven games, the Sixers starting lineup averages about 115 points per 100 possessions. Now, obviously, that's a little inflated because it's only seven games. But what does that tell you? It tells you that there's something there. We have had injuries. We have had COVID. and We've had a dramatic Australian. But despite that, there's a lot of upside to this team that I see. I just feel like once Glenn figures his shit out, I mean, he's still running lineups that are just all bench unit in important games, such as the Celtics game last night. Why are you doing bench lineups? It's clear that our bench is really struggling this year. And the thing is, once Maxi plays with the first unit more, once he gets a feel for the tendencies, because right now he, he's not focusing on playing his game. He's focusing more on not making mistakes, and he's just deferring to Embiid. But the thing is, it goes both ways. He needs to learn Embiid, but Embiid needs to learn him. At the end of the game, we need to run the ball through Tyrese Maxey. The days of running the ball through Embiid at the end of the game are over. Now, I understand some might say, well, the best player on your team is Joel Embiid. Yeah, well, the best player on the Kobe Shaq Lakers was Shaq. But toward the end of the game, Kobe had the ball in their hand. And it's because, historically, you can't win games with a big man as your closer because defenses can easily collapse on that. Despite Embiid being ultra-talented and being able to score on all three levels, you need a guy like Tyrese Maxey to have the ball in his hand because it's easier for him to shake defenders. And then when you have spacing around those guys, When you have Seth Curry, who is a danger to shoot any three as if it's a layup. And even Danny Green so far has been great. When you have those threats around the arc, the Embiid-Maxi two-man game will be so deadly. So why am I excited? Why do I still believe in the Sixers team to really turn around? What's the silver lining for me? It's that, man, these guys have barely played together. Give it time. So basically, you're telling me to trust the process? Wow, you're learning. How about that? Trust the process indeed. <laughs> trust the fucking process. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that trusting the process this year is going to at best lead you all to an early round playoff exit. But we'll see. We'll see indeed. We'll see indeed. I'm optimistic. Do I think we're going to win the championship this year? Probably not. I feel like even if we traded for a Dame or a Harden, I feel even then it would be hard to imagine that. 
But what I'm seeing is a team that's kind of figuring things out now. And with the right pieces, we can be a problem in the playoffs, which is all I really ask for this year. Be a problem in the playoffs. Maybe overachieve and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But at least figure out where Maxi fits with Embiid. And then after some smart offseason moves, maybe some good trade to get Ben out of here, we say trust the process, and I say trust in Maury. So that's what I'll do. Next year, come back with a vengeance. Because honestly, I, I see it coming together very slowly. Fair enough. All right, so Eric, I don't know about you, but I'm hyped for my Sixers. I think that's a great place to stop for today. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to email us at brownmanwontjump at gmail.com to just share your thoughts. What do you guys think about the Sixers? And Boston Celtics fans, come talk shit to me, please. I welcome it. You can also find us on Instagram at brownmenwontjump. We thank you guys, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye, dramatic Australian. Trust the process. Ooh, that was a good one. I like that.